0: Well, good morning. Morning. Uh, Last week I uh, looked up, Googled, the word jaded. Okay, the word jaded. Uh, Don't read too much into that. You're like, is Dane okay? (laughs) I'm great. Uh, I was Googling the word jaded. I always just assumed it was synonymous with cynical. But it's actually not, not quite synony- synonymous with that. Cynical, you, you, might, or you might say jadedness is fertile ground for cynicism. Cynicism is like not trusting sincerity or integrity in others. Um, so what does jaded mean? Well, here's dictionary.com. Doled or satiated by overindulgence. Worn out, wearied, as by overwork and overuse. Uh, and this is Merriam-Webster.com giving a little more background to where this word comes from. It says the adjective jaded, to be jaded, uh, comes from an old Middle English verb meaning to make a jade of a horse, a jade of a horse, to wear out by overwork or abuse. So the noun jade used to refer to a horse that was worn out or sick, My niece's name is Jade. I don't think this was the meaning that they had in mind. Uh, So jaded is a word that began in reference to worthless, overworked horses, but has been increasingly applied to humans in America. Uh, And it kind of makes sense, right? Right. To be jaded is to be overworked or overindulged. And what are Americans but workaholic consumers, right? The good life, the American dream, work hard enough so you can consume whatever you want. That's the good life. Uh, But even if we don't feel like we've achieved the American dream, we know what it's like to have too much of a good thing. You know, I remember when my first job in sales and I went on my first business trip and I was on an airplane and was like, ooh, this is so cool. And like three months later, I'm like, I'm quitting. This is the worst, you know. I am jaded. I don't want too much. I don't want to do this. And you know, we all know what that's like. Jaded, to be jaded, it's fertile ground for becoming cynical. But they're not the same thing. They're not the same thing. And this sermon series on the Sabbath and the various feasts of Israel, I think, is a sermon series for the jaded. It's a sermon series for the jaded. Like, maybe you still want to be joyful. You're holding out hope for joy. That's our theme word of the year, you know, joy. But you just find yourself jaded. I'm seeing some staff members laugh in the room right now. That's fun. Uh, you're just tired. You're worn out. You're, you're sick of it. Well, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's your, your marriage, okay? Maybe it's your friend group, your calm group, your church community. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's something that was once so life-giving for you, but you keep finding yourself just worn out and tired and just, ugh, and sick of it. It's a struggle to show up. What is going on? You know, Jesus' approach to the Sabbath, Jesus' approach to the feasts of Israel was radically different from the other teachers, the other preachers of his age. Like, the Sabbath for Jesus wasn't one more religious requirement to fulfill. It wasn't a burden. That's not what Sabbath, what the feasts were for Jesus. You know, have sermons ever started to sound this way to you? You know, it's like, it's not enough to just read your Bible and pray for hours a day. You know, it's not enough to also give 10% of your income and serve and volunteer. You know, that's all good, but it's not enough. You also need to rest. You also need to Sabbath, you know? It's like work really hard, not too hard. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, you know? It's just this burdensome list of things to do. That was not Jesus' approach. His approach actually got him in trouble sometimes. I love the... uh, Paraphrase of the end of Matthew 11 in Eugene Peterson's The Message. It goes like this. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. Jesus says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Isn't that good? That's the meditation of someone who's spent a lot of time following Jesus. So this is a message, I hope, for the jaded who are holding out for joy. Today we're going to talk about the Feast of Weeks, also called the Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of Latter first fruits, the feast of Matan Torah, the first of Hag HaShavuot. This feast has a lot of names. Okay, mostly we'll say Pentecost. I'll try not to say Hag HaShavuot. And uh, so far, we've looked at the weekly stop, the weekly stop. That's what Sabbath means. The Sabbath. We've looked at Passover. And Passover glances back to the Exodus from Egypt. Uh, But it also points forward, we saw, to the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross, the slain lamb, the lamb who was slain for our sins. Uh, We looked at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And if you remember, this pointed forward to the burial of Jesus Christ, where our sins are buried, they're put away. We get the leaven out of here. And then we looked at the first fruits. And this looked forward to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was like the first fruits. He came out of the ground as a sign of a harvest to come. So the feast, as we've been slowly seeing, tell the story of the good news, of the gospel, of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And just like last week, how we saw there's no gospel, there's no good news without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's also no gospel, there's no good news without the sending of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, Christ's death and resurrection is of no benefit to us. Without the Holy Spirit, Christ's death and resurrection is an interesting historical tidbit, okay? But because of the Holy Spirit, we can die to our old way of life, and we can rise with Jesus Christ. We can day by day, Paul says, have our inner life be renewed, Renewed, raised with Christ. So the Holy Spirit's work is to join us, to unite us to Jesus Christ and help us to abide in Him. He keeps us connected to the vine. So Pentecost becomes the church's birthday, right? Pentecost is the church's birthday. You can read about this in Acts 2. Now, seven weeks after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, 50 days. Uh, the, the day of Pentecost, the disciples are gathered in Jerusalem in the upper room, and then there's this great loud sound like a rushing wind and there's tongues of fire and this crowd gathers and Peter preaches this sermon. And just like 3,000 died when the law came on Sinai, now 3,000 are baptized. It's this great moment of revival, this great moment where the Tower of Babel is reversed. There's so much here, but we're not, we're not going to spend actually a lot of time with Acts 2 this morning. We're, we're going to dig into the feast The feast as it was actually celebrated in ancient Israel. What was Pentecost like for ancient Israel? And the first question that really grabbed my curiosity as I was looking at this, um, I wasn't initially like super excited about (laughs) this sermon. I looked at the text, I'm like, what in the world am I going to say for 40 minutes, you know? Uh, So... Oh, I was like, why, why this feast, the Feast of Pentecost, why did the Holy Spirit choose to be associated with this feast? Like, what's that about? And the second question, who cares? <laughs> you know, why does it matter? Like, what does this have to teach us? And it turns out a lot. A lot to teach us about resting, that elusive thing called rest, teaches us a lot about resisting unholy spirits. We're going to talk about that resisting unholy spirits. And Pentecost teaches us a lot about living by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to give you a little Pentecost mantra. So write this down and we'll come back to it at the end of our time together. For those looking for joy, but finding themselves jaded, stop, show up, leave room. Okay, stop, show up, and leave room. We're going to come back to that. So, Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks, verses 15 and 16. As you can see, the Feast of Weeks is the only feast that involves a countdown, which is kind of fun, right? It's a countdown. So, we're in a season of Lent right now, and that's a countdown, right? We're counting down the days till Easter, Or you can think about uh, Advent. That's another countdown, right? Advent chocolate calendars, you know, where the kids are counting down until Christmas. Or you think of an engaged couple counting down the days. They're checking the little boxes on the calendar until the big day is there. Or a kid counting down the days till their birthday. Or my family counting down the days until sabbatical in June. Okay, (laughs) we are counting down the days. It's a time of anticipation, It's a time of a joyful countdown. Uh, Several of you in the room are engaged, and I'm doing your premarital counseling, and you know, like, if you were jaded about your wedding, I'd be like, I don't know if this is a good idea, (laughs) you know? An an exciting countdown is not the time to be jaded, okay? So Pentecost, it comes from the Greek word for 50. So it's a 50-day countdown from when that first little bit of grain is offered in early spring, first fruits, uh, it's just after Passover, and then there's this 50 day countdown, and then they would return to Jerusalem for the first time since Passover uh, for, for the second of three annual pilgrimages. And now they would offer first fruits again, but now it's not first fruits of the barley harvest, it's first fruits of the wheat harvest, okay? You don't really have to remember that. To, okay. So, of the feasts, Three of them, by the way, are pilgrimage festivals. Three of them. H-A-G in Hebrew, kind of like H-A-J in Arabic for Hajj, right? So it's a pilgrimage. Um, So the first one was the Passover, uh, which glanced back to Egypt, right? And the redemption from Egypt was kind of Independence Day, and that was a week-long deal. And then in the fall, there was tabernacles, And so they would head to Jerusalem and they would live in these tents or booths for a week uh, to remember their time traveling through the wilderness, living in these tents and booths. But in the middle, uh, in late spring, there was uh, the Feast of Pentecost. And this, as we'll talk about in a moment, this was associated with the law when they got the law at Mount Sinai shortly after, 50 days after coming out of Egypt. Okay, and uh, this wasn't a week-long festival, it was just one day. So think of a trip you might make on a three-day weekend, okay? Like Memorial Day we just had, or President's Day we just had. Um, But the two things that made Pentecost really, really special, number one, anticipation. There's a countdown. And number two, it's abundance. It's a harvest festival. So when you read like Leviticus 23, if you read through the whole thing and you're like, what makes this one unique? The first thing you notice is just, it's a really long section, and what smacks you in the face is just the sheer abundance of the offerings given. And so, imagine you are an Israelite in the wilderness hearing this for the first time. You're surviving off like manna from heaven, maybe some quail when the wind blows in, you know, like water from rocks. And you're reading like, oh my gosh, loaves of bread with leaven, you know, nine lambs, two rams, a bull, a goat, grain, wine. Whoa. Like if we can offer all that to the Lord, think of how abundant this is going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. Like, I don't know how, I mean, there's bad weather and war going on, but I'm trusting that if we are faithful, the Lord is going to bless us abundantly. So that's what they celebrated at Pentecost. It was an anticipation of abundance, an anticipation of abundance. So in Leviticus, where Passover and tabernacles are associated with these sort of great events in Israel's history, Pentecost is tied to their agricultural cycle, okay? Um, and later they're, they're, they'll do the math and they'll tie it to, like I said, the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, uh, which is really interesting because 3,000 died that day with the worship of the golden calf. But then in Acts 2, 3,000 are baptized on the day of Pentecost, are saved. There was also a tradition that Pentecost was David's birthday, King David's birthday, and the day that he died. Uh, but originally, Pentecost, to an ancient Israelite, it was a harvest festival in the spring. So think like Thanksgiving in the spring. That's what this was about. You're traveling, you're getting together, you're having a special service, and you're having a big, big meal. But we're not quite done. Verses 21 and 22. This is where it really gets interesting. During this countdown to Pentecost, okay, Um, you know, so imagine the kids like breaking the paper chain, you know, counting down the days until Pentecost. There's one really, really important thing that you were to not do. There was one really important thing that if you did, you would ruin the spirit of the whole holiday, okay? Think about our Thanksgiving, What killed the spirit of thanksgiving? It's a demonic spirit named Black Friday, right? (laughs) It just came in and killed the whole thing, you know? Uh, Imagine if there were like laws protecting workers from that abuse, right? That's kind of what we have here. In verse 22, if we could go to, to 21 and 22, this protects against an abuse of abundance. And this is the rule. When you harvest your land, do not reap. So don't keep harvesting all the way to the edge of your field. Leave some room. And then, you know, there's going to be a mess. You're going to drop gleanings. And you could pick those up. Don't pick them up. Leave them on the ground. Stop. Stop. do not maximize your profits. Do not leverage. Do not stop. Leave it. Leave it on the ground. Leave room. Why? Leave them so that the poor and the refugee can come onto your land, because remember whose land it is. It's God's land, right? And they can have enough to eat. They can have something to eat. And, And this is pretty serious. Like God says, I am the Lord. Like, don't mess around with this one. Proverbs 19, 17 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. You know, God seemed to know a long time before we figured it out that the only reason starvation exists on planet Earth is not for a lack of resources, it's not for a lack of human creativity and ingenuity. Why does starvation exist on planet Earth? An abundance, yes, of human greed. That's why starvation exists. Notice like God doesn't say maximize your profits, reap all the way to the edge so that your, you know, your wealth kind of trickles down to the poor and the refugee. Doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know, Gather up all those gleanings and put them in boxes and come up with a nice strategic campaign to responsibly distribute the gleanings to the poor. He doesn't say that. He says, stop. Stop. Leave room. Stop harvesting. Stop gleaning. Don't get greedy. Don't get cute. Don't get creative. Just stop. (laughs) Stop. Have an abundance mindset. Trust that there's plenty for you plenty for yours, plenty for your neighbors, leave room. And so you can begin to see, right, that we are our Pentecost mantra here. Stop, show up, and leave room. Stop, show up, and leave room. Stop your work, show up with your gifts to worship, and resist that urge to leave no margin, to leave no room, leave room. This is God's plan for outsiders, this is God's plan for the poor that for whatever reason, they didn't have a harvest that year and he wants them to get to the party too, right? So stop, leave leave some room. And so maybe now we can begin to see why the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came in power at Pentecost. It's a pattern. Think about it this way. The Holy Spirit fell in power upon a group that showed up that showed up and left room in anticipation of an abundant harvest. Now, maybe all this Holy Spirit talk is unfamiliar to you or it's kind of weird to you, mysterious to you. Uh, you may not be familiar with it, but he, we are all very familiar with, with spirits. Okay, we are all very familiar with what I'll call the unholy spirits who are in power in our context. We are very familiar with the unholy spirit called scarcity. We're very very familiar with the unholy spirit called hurry. They are the air we breathe. Let's talk about those for a moment. First of all, scarcity. Scarcity is the opposite of abundance, right? A scarcity mindset believes that if we don't hustle, if we don't maximize, if we don't reap to the edges, what's going to happen? It's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough for me, right? If we don't stay open, if we don't keep gleaning, if we don't go every inch, right, it's not going to be enough. And it's sad, but kind of it makes sense in our day that to be able to Sabbath is almost associated with status and privilege. <laughs> it's like something to be earned, okay? Um Super Bowl Sunday, is it soon, too soon to talk about the Super Bowl? I don't know, it's two weeks ago, you know? <laughs> Hopefully we've all mourned and, and moved on. Um, but I was at the grocery store, and I was talking to my grocers in Knob Hill, and um, I was buying some stuff for the game. It was the morning, and I was asking him, like, what time are you getting off today? Because he was wearing all Niners gear. And uh, he was like, 9 p.m. And I was like, 9 p.m.? The game's at 3.30. He's like, I know. But the owner says, you know, we got to stay open because, like, if the Niners win, there's going to be after party. Maybe people didn't buy enough stuff. I'm just like, what? Like, what God is that serving? You know, what spirit is animating that? Scarcity, right? I mean, this is the Super Bowl. There's billions and billions of dollars involved, but not everybody gets to rest right? As in God's Sabbath, everyone gets to rest. Even the land has to rest or it will become jaded. It will become tired, worn out. So this is so much bigger than any one of us to just feel bad about, okay? This is a big, big thing. In fact, it's the opposite. It's like, this is the biggest day of the year. We got to stay open, the Sabbath, the secular Sabbath, right? So this leads us to the second, the spirit of hurry, If we have a mindset of scarcity, you cannot slow down, right? The one thing you cannot do is stop because the early bird's going to get the worm, right? So you got to go, 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 go. But Sabbath means stop. Pentecost begins with stop. We live in a non-stop culture. We live in a breathless culture. You ever describe something as breathless? Watch that. You know, in Hebrew and in Greek... We have ruach and numa for breath and spirit. They don't have different words for breath and spirit. So if we're breathless, we're spiritless. If we're breathless, we're anti-pentecost. If we're breathless, we're unholy. We got to watch out for that rest becomes something right we have to rush for. We have to compete for. We have to earn. It's not, is precisely not for the poor. It's not for the immigrant. And ironically, when we're breathless, when we're always rushing, what happens? We, we actually stop showing up because we're too tired to show up to church or to social gatherings, to things like that, that actually connect us to other people and refuel our spirits and refresh us. We, it's just easier to to do another form of secular Sabbath, which is just keep on gleaning digital content until our eyes bleed, right? And it feels like I'm resting, but it's just making us more exhausted in soul, worn out, sick, and jaded. The Holy Spirit fell upon a group that stopped, showed up, and left room. Stopped, showed up, and left room in anticipation of an abundant harvest. We're very familiar with the fruit of scarcity, the fruit of Hurry, depression, anxiety, burnout, division, anger, competition. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Sounds good, right? Sound good? You want that fruit in your life? And at VCC, we're like a tree and we want our guests to remember anyone when when we're together, we're like eating that fruit from that tree. If we want that fruit in our community, in our home, in our lives, we got to stop, we got to show up and we got to leave room. We got to stop, we got to show up, we got to leave room. We got to walk by the spirit. First of all, stop. That's it. Stop it. (laughs) Stop. What can the answer be to the problem of jadedness, to the problem of overwork and overindulgence, but to just stop. The answer is not a strategy. That's one more unholy spirit I didn't have time for. I had a New Testament professor always say, be careful of strategy, right? Watch out for strategy. Why? How did the early church grow? They just kept, they were trying to pray and they kept getting persecuted and the church just grew and multiplied, right? So strategy can be good, but we can be, we gotta be careful of it. I mean, like, there's a million, there's a whole cottage industry now of books and podcasts of, like, how to Sabbath well. Just stop. (laughs) It means stop, okay? Like, the word means stop. You're allowed to just stop, okay? Like, that's what the word means. You don't have to do something that feels, ooh, to, like, make it holy. God made it holy. Light a candle if that's life-giving to you, but, like, just stop, okay? Stop. Under the law of Moses, you're not allowed to work, It didn't work out, okay? It led to death, okay? Under the law of the spirit of life, it's not that you're not allowed to work. You're allowed to stop. You are allowed to stop. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. According to the law of Silicon Valley, you're not allowed to stop, right? That will also lead to death and exhaustion and jadedness. In the spirit, you are allowed to stop. Remember how Jesus put it? Humans were not made to obey the Sabbath, right? The Sabbath was made for humans. It's a gift for you. Jesus said you can stop. You can stop and do that which is life-giving for you. Second, show up. Show up. For ancient Israel, this meant showing up to Jerusalem, going on the pilgrimage, coming to the feast, participating in the special worship service, gathering with family and community. What does this mean for us to show up? For some of us, it might just mean showing up to church, but you're probably not in the room right now, so I don't really, <laughs> I don't really have a point for you. Uh, but maybe like this is the one Sunday you made it and you've been regularly too busy and exhausted and maybe it's like once a month now, Um So C.1, stop, you know? Put some breathing room in your schedule. Talk to someone about it. Put some spirit in your schedule. Uh, But for the rest of us who who showed up today, I want to just give this principle. It's easier to put on a show than to show up. It's easier to put on a show than to show up. Like in marriage, for example, for, for Brittany and I, and a lot of you will relate with this, it's so much easier at the end of the day to just put on a show, you know? Pour a a glass of wine, like, I'm resting, (laughs) you know? It's harder to, like, actually show up and connect about our day first, right? It's harder to do that, but one thing actually leaves us rested, connected. Church, it's easier for us to just put on a show. You know, it's easier for you to just attend a show than to show up, to all that church is and really utilize your gifts and get to know people. But again, only one leads to truly feeling connected and rested. So the principle is if things like relationships, worship, community, those are the things we squeeze in at the end if we have time, eventually those things will get squeezed out and we squeeze out the spirit of the living God and we end up exhausted in soul. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. I have this... I think I have time for it. Oh, it's such a good quote. I came across a couple months ago. Just listen to this quote. It's from Ronald Rolheiser. It goes like this. If you're someone who's at all concerned about community, family, justice, it's long, but it's good, okay? So just stay with me. I'm not having it up on the screen. Just close your eyes if you need to. If you're someone at all concerned about community, family, church, justice, education, culture, civic issues, You will, no doubt, find yourself at a lot of meetings. Amen? A colleague of mine likes to quip, when they write our history, they'll simply say, they met a lot. (laughs) Indeed, we do. We meet a lot. There are an endless variety of issues that call for our participation in group discussion and community discernment. Church issues, education issues, justice issues, moral issues, political issues, social issues, economic issues, cultural issues. It's a bottomless well, and all those meetings can seem like a huge waste of time and energy to keep showing up for, a a distraction to real work. Moreover, at a point, we can't help wondering, too, are all these meetings changing anything? Would life be any different, other than more leisured and pleasant? If we stopped having all these meetings, it's easy to grow tired, discouraged, and cynical, I would add jaded, about all the meetings we're asked to attend. But we should keep something in mind. Pentecost happened at a meeting. One of the central events that shaped Christian history and history in general happened not to an individual off praying alone, or to a monk on a mountaintop, or to a solitary Buddha meditating under a tree. None of these. Pentecost happened at a meeting, and it happened to a community, to a church congregation assembled for prayer, to a family of faith gathered to wait for God's guidance. It goes on and on, but I'll just add this. It says, when you don't know what else to do, keep going to meetings. Pentecost happened to a group that stopped and showed up. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. And finally, leave room. Leave room. God said to Israel, when you harvest, don't reap to the edges. Leave room. Leave margin. Don't gather up all the gleanings. Leave them for the poor, for the refugee. Leave room. The way to ruin abundant life is not loss. It's trying to squeeze in just a little bit more. Not listening. When I think of uh, leaving room, for the Holy Spirit. Well, I asked my son, what what do you think? I was explaining this to him. I was like, what what does leaving room mean to you? It's like, well, yeah, you always say leave room for ice cream. I was like, that's good. good." (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) leave room for the good stuff. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I think of like middle school, okay? Leave room for the Holy Spirit, you know? Don't dance too close to each other. Don't sit too close to each other on the bus, right? And now you won't forget it. Um, And it's silly, but there's something to it, right? The Spirit operates in the space between. In that space, you're not trying to manage or control. Like, I've been blown away. I've been here a long time, and as long as I've been here, we've had this thing called the greeting time, which is three minutes. It used to be 10 minutes. (laughs) But, I mean, every membership meeting, all the time, we hear stories of people got connected, lifelong friendships connected with calm groups, and then years later, that group is there as they're losing a parent, something like that. Like, we're not trying to preach. We're not playing music. We're not doing anything, just leaving room in the service, and the Holy Spirit is working in that space. It's amazing. We leave room and anticipate fruit. Uh, a few years ago, we planted, like, three trees in our along our back fence, and I got them from Lowe's, and I did everything right, okay? Like, I dug deep, I fed the trees, I watered the trees, I pruned the trees. I was like, we're going to do it. And a few years later, we pulled the trees because there was no fruit, there was almost no flowers, they were just not flourishing, and we pulled them out. Why? I planted them too close to each other. I didn't leave any room between them. And I still remember my daughter, she was like four or five at the time. She's bawling as I'm pulling these trees out because I didn't like warn her that I was going to do it. She's, she's a picture of the Holy Spirit to me, grieving when there's no fruit, when we didn't leave room for him to work. She says, so often we do everything right, but we don't leave room. Do everything right, but we don't leave room. We're like, What was wrong with that meeting? What was wrong with that Zoom call? Nothing was wrong with it, but you had six of them back to back, and you left no room in between, so you were just like a shell of yourself, right? We need to leave room. I think this would be a great conversation for the community, for our staff, for your comm group, for your family, whatever it is this week. How can we leave room for the Holy Spirit? How can we lean into a mindset of anticipation of abundance? Maybe it's in your budget. Maybe it's $10 a month. I don't know what this is going to, we're going we're to pray over this $10, how the Lord wants us to use this in a creative way. Or maybe it's maybe it's $100 a month. Maybe it's $1,000 a month. We're in Pleasanton, okay? I know some of you got it, all right? You're just leaving that aside. The Holy Spirit, I don't know what you're going to do with this. Maybe we leave room in our schedule, right? Our schedule. It could be just 15-minute block time. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to pray, Holy Spirit, lead me. I don't know what's going to happen. Leave some room for the Holy Spirit. I remember Dave and Laura Monocle, years ago, they responded to a sermon by leaving a literal room open in their house for the Holy Spirit and whatever he was going to do. And they ended up having some firefighters come live with them. And it was all these amazing stories because they just left a room open in their house. This can get so personal. You know? Did you know you could leave some room in your opinions? <laughs> Did you know not every opinion needs to rise to the level of conviction? It doesn't, okay? Some of you are feeling that one, right? What might happen if you leave some room in your opinions? You might learn some some things from people you never expected to learn from. You might actually have some Holy Spirit encounters. See, when we don't do that, we start to believe the Holy Spirit only plays on our team. When Acts 2 says very, very specifically, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh, which does not mean everyone is filled with the Spirit, and that's not what I'm saying. But that's where we start: is how's the Spirit already working in this person's life, right? That's how we begin to live. You can leave some room in your prayers, not just coming with a wish list to God, right? But there's time for silent listening. You might be surprised what the Holy Spirit brings up. So let's wrap up. Pentecost was an invitation to a party in Jerusalem. That party was so good, people would count down the days in anticipation for that harvest festival. You were working hard up until harvest, but you were counting down the days until you could stop and you could make that journey to the festival and rejoice and feast. And in one sense, this is a picture of our whole life as followers of Jesus. We are laborers in the harvest laborers in the harvest, working hard, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, waiting for the great day of Jesus' return when we will feast with him in the kingdom of God. But in another sense, and this is what I hope you hear today, the good news is that because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, you can respond to that invitation at any time. Rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians tells us. It's always Sabbath in the new covenant. It's always Pentecost in the new age of Jesus Christ. It's freedom all the way there. Anytime you find yourself burnt out, jaded, worn out, there'll be a lot of excuses telling you why you can't stop. But you can listen to the words of Jesus saying, come away with me, walk with me. We can hear the whispers of joy beckoning us to communion. So no matter how much guilt and shame and fear are screaming for you to keep your life full, cramming, pushing to the margins, you're free to stop. No one's stopping you from stopping. You are free. We are free to show up as we are, to leave room for the Holy Spirit and anticipate what God's going to do. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for this day, thank you for this time that we have stopped, we have shown up in anticipation of what you are going to do, Lord, and I pray that you've moved through the worship and the teaching, through the greeting time, the announcements, through our drive to uh, as a Uh, here, to come here, Lord, to worship you. Um, We want to give you just special gratitude and thanks for little baby uh, Hannah Backers, who was born uh, this week, to Kevin and Elsa. We are rejoicing with them, and uh, we rejoice in all your good and wonderful gifts. Um, So teach us uh, every day to rejoice with those who rejoice and to grieve with those who grieve. Uh, We love you, and may the rest of our time together give honor to you.